We're going to go ahead and uh, dive right in today, but uh, one additional announcement. I noticed some of you were um, sitting by small groups tonight. We got that going on with a few of your groups. Who all is doing that? Group here, a couple groups there. It's going to come in handy. Have a little surprise that uh, we're going to uh, put into place, and that is we're going to have a contest for the remaining uh, midweeks when it comes to our transforming steps. And the way it's going to work is, um, as of next week, got a memory scripture. It's John 14, verse 12. It's not in the studies, but figure we'd mix it up a little bit. I'm actually using it tonight. And uh, the uh, second part of that would be the New Testament of the Bible memorized. And the way this will work is the first, first individual that volunteers and nails it, either one of the two, will have prizes for but we want to kind of create a little bit more interest within each of the groups and that the small group that fields the most winners by the end of our transforming steps will be throwing a pizza party for. So just want to kind of sweeten up the pot a little bit. Some of you guys, you might want to think about maybe coming up with names for your groups, kind of keep it fun, keep it interesting. But I uh, just wanted to put that out there. Uh, what is the purpose of what we're doing? We got those four words that we've been talking about on a weekly basis. Okay. What's the next one? Solidify, multiply, and edify. Amen. That was already said. There were four. I mean, you know, if somebody, if somebody want to come up with a fifth one and it applies, you know, amen. Let me know. I'm, I'm always uh, open to change as long as it doesn't uh, justify. Well, we are, oh, testify, justify, we are justified. Well, I'm going to be here all night if we keep this up. So, moving right along, discipleship, God's plan for making a difference. With that, got a few new things that I want to throw at you from the study tonight, but our primary purpose for this is so that we can help others come to know God and become a part of God's kingdom. Amen? Core conviction, every disciple is a disciple maker. We'll see that in a minute in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The Great Commission is not a call for a few of us, but a command for all of us. We are not an audience of spectators. We are a fellowship of Jesus lovers, Jesus walkers, and disciple makers. Amen? There's four components to this. And we'll, we'll see it again as we... I want you to kind of visualize these components as we head into the passage. But as disciples, one of the first components is going. What do we do when we go? Share the word. Share the good news. How God's worked in our lives. Second one. We show the word by doing what? Baptizing. Applying the scriptures. We teach the word. A commandment from Jesus in Matthew 20, 18 through 20. Teaching. And what do we need to do? We need to bring it to all nations. And we serve the world. And that's on a number of fronts. Especially when it comes to some of our third world nations. I think Jesus did an incredible job of exemplifying this. And the way he conducted himself. And then there were instances where you've got to meet people's physical needs before you can meet their spiritual needs. Amen. And that's I'm proud to be a part of a church that is willing to do just that. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Somebody want to read that for me or we may even have somebody here that's got it memorized. Anybody? Brian. <laughs> now, I'm not throwing you under the bus, man. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> 
Brian is going to be teaching, uh, what was it, uh, trans- oh no, yeah, transformation here in a couple of weeks. Ken Chow has volunteered to do the uh, church study for us. Looking forward to hearing both of them. I'm sure you'll appreciate mixing it up a little bit. Mine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so when it comes to what we see established here by Jesus, we know that Jesus wants everyone to have the opportunity to become what? And once you're a baptized disciple, what's his next expectation? Yeah, sit around eating bonbons, right? No, the thing we're commanded to do after that is what? Make disciples and baptize those disciples. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this study as to what Jesus says it means to make disciples. One other thing I'd like to throw out here tonight, too, I know we have a few people visiting with us. Let's open this on up and get our friends out to the study series. Amen? Amen. One of the things that I've seen through the years is you can have people visiting, and they may even believe they've got things on straight. But you know what? God's Word doesn't come back empty. As we progress through this, they will have questions. There will be things that they're concerned with, and we'll be able to help them solidify that faith of theirs. Amen? And unify them with the rest of us. Galatians 5.22. Now, this isn't in your study book. You don't need to write it down. I will have a couple suggestions for you to add to it as we progress here tonight. But I think one of the things that, that can take place in time as we mature as disciples, sometimes we lose sight of what ushered us into the kingdom, the gratitude that we have for Jesus Christ, uh, the gift of salvation we've been given, the grace that's been so freely extended, is one of the things that can start to happen is we start to make excuses why we're not the specific individual that Jesus was targeting in Matthew 28. Now, when he addressed that passage, who was he addressing? This this is something we should be able to all say in unison. Who who was he? Who was he, he? in, his, in this passage, Matthew 20, 18 through 20, who does he want this to go out to? He wants it to go out to all nations. He wants it to go out to everyone. And what is it that he wants taught to everyone? Continual obedience to what? His teachings. This passage is a command. This is an imperative. There's no loosey-goosey as to who this applies to. So, you know, there's a number of things I've heard through the years, three areas where I've heard people kind of try to tap out on why evangelism. And I'd rather keep it to what Jesus says, making disciples. He doesn't say go out and evangelize. He doesn't say to be an evangelism machine. He says go make disciples. And there's three terms I've heard over the years that people use to kind of tap out on this passage. Well, bro, you know, there's all these different fruits of the Spirit, and this isn't a particular fruit that I've been blessed with. Or... Well, you know, bro, we all got different talent sets, and this just isn't my talent. Or, bro, you know, there's these gifts of the Spirit, and this isn't really my gift. And things have been interesting when you, I've pursued that with different individuals over the year. Uh, you know, you know me, I, I want to get to the bottom of it. It's like, okay, if there's other gifts that maybe you're not utilizing, let's utilize those. So, so bro, what is your specific gift? 
And that's exactly the response I got. And I, I think when it comes to this, there's a few scriptures I want us to look at. Galatians 5.22, it's really interesting too, when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, this is the only passage in the Bible that definitively defines it. Now, Romans 8 talks about it. Uh, Ephesians uh, 4 mentions something about the fruit of the Spirit. But this one actually defines it. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, if we look at this in the context of Matthew 28, now what is it that we all have? The Spirit. Is that up there? The fruit of the Spirit. What is the Spirit? Where does that reside? Who is the Spirit? The great counselor. It's Jesus inside of us. Now, we know that Jesus, that passage holds true for him. Jesus love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? That's exactly what each and every one of us have residing in us. And I think when we have, we take issue with a passage like, a passage like Matthew, and we'll look at this in a little bit greater detail as we go, one of the issues is usually lack of faith. And I think if you're uncomfortable with what Jesus calls us to here, then what you want to do is you want to get uncomfortable in what may be a lack of faith and figure out what you need to do to take that up to a level where you are comfortable with this. And the, thing, the other thing that we all have in common with the Spirit that resides within us, isn't that good news? Yeah. We're not alone. We've got Jesus in us. We've been saved. We've got this incredible thing called grace that's been extended to each and every one of us. Every person in here has a story to share. May not be the most comfortable with it, but one of the things that I think we had an opportunity to demonstrate over the last few weeks, going back to our EA, how many of you had people in your home for the first time maybe in years that participated in the essential aid, people that are not members of the church? Well, I know there's more than this. We had about 46 people visiting. Some of them may have been out in the past. Okay, well, just, just looking at what we've got going on here in EA, I guess I need to dial that in a little bit. But, I mean, the reality of it is, I think we did an incredible job of opening our homes to people. Yeah. I mean, I, there were some incredible meals that were taking place in a lot of different places. Uh, with that, it gave us the opportunity to really have an impact on our friends and family members and neighbors. Uh, we've got Gustavo and Denise that had a very positive impact from that. Amen? That is a good thing. We're unified in that. Amen? I think uh, you know, Chris and Irene, they've been coming around, but I think this was something that helps solidify their belief in Christ, which has given them the ability to take it to the next level here, which is be totally surrendered to Christ. Amen? So I think when it comes to that, these are areas maybe that we're not comfortable with, but we need to be... Here's the thing. I, I could be the most incredibly timid person on the face of the planet. Paul addresses that with Timothy. But with that, we all can say, hey, would you like to come over to my house for dinner? And guess what? we have somebody else in here, if you're not comfortable leading the studies, that you can pull in and make exactly that happen. So when it comes to the imperative that God lays out here, there really are no excuses. Ephesians 5, verse 8 in the King James Version says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I mean, in a nutshell... We're walking in the light. Let that light shine. Let's not slip it back into the darkness because of unfaithfulness. And God will bless that. And we'll have incredible impact. Amen. You know, uh, Robert Coleman, some of you are familiar with his work. He wrote the book, Master Plan of Evangelism. I want to read a quote from that. 
He says, discipling men and women is the priority around which all of our lives should be oriented. The Great Commission is not a special calling or a gift of the Spirit. It is a command and obligation incumbent upon the whole community of faith. There are no exceptions. Bank presidents, automobile mechanics, physicians, school teachers, theologians, and homemakers, everyone who believes on Christ has a part in his work. John 14, verse 12 reads, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, what's the significance of this verse next week? Mary verse. says the Great Commission is a lifestyle encompassing the total resources of every child of God. Here, the ministry of Christ comes live in the day-to-day activity of discipling. Whether we have a secular job or ecclesiastical position, a Christ-like commitment to bring the nations into the eternal kingdom should be a part of it. If making disciples of all nations is not the heartbeat of our life, something is wrong. Either with our understanding of Christ's church or our willingness to walk in his way. Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism. If this isn't our purpose, again, the thing that I put before you today is that faith is the issue here. We have ultimately lost sight of the power of the cross. Let's go ahead and uh, continue here. You know, in the area of gifts, you know, this may not be a gift that you've been given. There's one I've got that obviously uh, has, I think, a little bit more of a burden attached to it than most. But in Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church the body of Christ. So, do I have a little bit different role as an evangelist? Yeah. You say that's relatively clear? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That's what this is all about. The opportunity for all of us to get on the same page and really embrace the grace that we've been given through Christ, remembering again what our lives were like when we were in the darkness versus what our lives, lives are like now in the light If we're walking with Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31 says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And you know, this is in context. I don't want to take the time with it tonight. You can go through it and read it. But Paul breaks down the body of Christ. And they're all different roles. And there are different gifts. But there's one gift in particular. He says that we need to be, it needs to be the one that that really is over all gifts that we embrace personally. He says in verse 31, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I gave away all my possessions to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then as we continue through 1 Corinthians 13, it breaks down all the different aspects of love, and it closes with, love never fails. And again, we know that, what is the greatest thing that Jesus Christ demonstrated for each and every one of us? Love. That's Jesus. I mean, you think love, for me, it's synonymous. It's Christ. We know in John 13, 34, 35, he lays out a new command about how we love God, how we love each other, how we love the lost, and really making sure that that we realize this is something we've all got. It's been given to us by Jesus Christ, and it resides in us through Christ. 
First, or 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame, now, now we're talking gifts, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And when we're walking with Christ, you know, it's kind of like Isaiah. I mean, after he was given his charge, was he able to keep his mouth shut? I mean, it just welled up within him. He was so zealous for God. I mean, it just kind of boiled on out. So he says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed to be his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And then in Matthew 25, verse 14, you know, the other area that we, we hear about is the talents. And I, I kind of already tagged this one. But, you know, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And, you know, I don't know. He probably could have thrown another guy in there that had zero. But for whatever reason, he didn't. He got three men. Three men. They have at least what? One talent. And this is talking about being vested in the kingdom. But I think with that, it's true. Looking around, there's a whole different skill set that each and every one of us have. But I put before you, there's not one person in here that cannot say, I'd love to invite you to my house for dinner. And then it goes from there. You sit down, you share about your life, share about how Christ has worked in it, talk about the church, invite them on out, let them know about the parenting series that we have starting in April. Uh, You know, our Easter service is going to be awesome. Uh, We'll have more details on that here probably in the next week or so. But we've got all kinds of ability, means, talents to make sure that we're adhering to what God has established for us here. Amen? Okay, back uh, to the uh, study. From a standpoint of your books there. Acts 11, verse 19. Can I get somebody to read that for me? 19 through 26. Oh, and can I get you to stand up? I'm sorry. I, I can barely hear you here. And I know you can belt it out. I've heard it. This is a passage most of us are very familiar with. We know the purpose behind the passage, what it is that's established here, and that the disciples were, this is the first time it appears in the Bible, right? And we know the background behind Christian. Christian was those little Christ-like people. It was a derogatory term. This wasn't anything that 
doesn't look like anything like it looks today. But the bottom line is they were synonymous. We know that the word Christians in the Bible three times. Since disciples used over 270 times in the New Testament. And what is it that Jesus calls his followers? Disciples. I, think, I don't believe it's in your books. You might want to pencil this in. I, I think there's a lot to be said for this equation. And then it really simplifies all the verbiage that's up there on the screen. Is a disciple equals a Christian equals saved. Very basic. But ultimately, there's things that need to take place in which we obviously cover as we continue to go through the studies and that we have to have a heart for Christ. It's about a relationship with Christ. Each of us here at one time or another in our profession had somebody that was in our lives that was a mentor. Whether it's been the medical profession, sales profession, whatever the case may be, construction. And the reality behind this, being a disciple... It is like being an intern or an apprentice. You know, we, we look at the likes of Da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo. These guys had disciples. It was crazy what their disciples would subject themselves to to try and figure out how they could duplicate or make a marble sculpture the way, a sculpture the way either one of those guys did or a painting the way they did. They would buy the same supplies, the same materials. They would eat the same foods. If Leonardo was sleeping up on a... Uh, uh, scaffolding somewhere. They would sleep with them on the scaffolding. They wanted to eat, breathe, and drink what they did. And ultimately, this is exactly what a disciple is. A disciple of Christ is someone that looks to emulate everything that went on in Jesus' life. Amen? So we have to have a heart for Christ, first and foremost. Mark 1, verse 14. Can I get somebody to read 14 through 18 for me? Sean? I mean, this is an awesome passage. Obviously, we see the response here. Jesus threw it on out there. The response was immediate. They, they left what they knew. And what I appreciate about this is that Jesus took them from something they knew, which was fishing, and he gave them something new, which was kind of taking the tweak on the fishing part of it. And this is what I love about Jesus. He gives people things that they can relate to and understand and correlate to. So here you guys are. You're fishermen. I'm going to take you and make you fishers of men. Well, I'm sure they started playing out all kinds of things in their hands. So what are we going to do, Jesus? We're going around dropping nets on people or baiting traps or what are we going to do? But they obviously knew that there was something. It probably gave them a degree of even comfort making that transition. Knowing, okay, well, he knows what we do here and he seems to think he can make us do this there. Let's do it. I mean, I don't know about you, basically, I've been over to the Sea of Galilee, I've seen some of the crazy little fish in there, they call them Peter fish, I think they're a, a croaker, uh, or some kind of a perch, really nasty looking things, they're small, you know, these guys are using drop nets and pulling in, basically it's a net that's got weights around the edge, they throw it out over the water, it sinks, traps fish at the bottom, they have lines that they pull in from the bottom, and they pull the whole thing up, but they're smelly, you know, I don't know about you, I'd rather be fishing for men than fishing for fish in that capacity, and, you know, I would imagine there was some appeal. They, they had an idea as to who Jesus was and what they represented. And I really believe for the first time in their lives, they realized they had a purpose that was much bigger than what they were currently going after. 
Matthew 18, verse 1. Somebody would read that for me. Dwight. Okay, so based on what Jesus established here, what's the kind of heart that we need to have? Childlike heart. What is that defined as? Teachable. Which I would imagine the age back then was probably a little bit older than the age now when it comes to uh, that degree of humility. Uh, I know we, we get to this preteen teen thing, and uh, that's a whole other ball of wax. But how would you define humility? You know what I think epitomizes it for me? And this may even be where, this is where we've got to realize that, you know, we don't have to follow an outline here. But if there's, if there's a passage for you in the Bible that, you know, maybe you weren't the most humble person when you went through the studies. You thought you had this all dialed in on your own. You, you were going to turn around and start teaching some of the studies in this Bible study that you were invited out to. I know there's a few of you in here that, that was exactly where you were at. Well, and so what would you do in a situation like that? Maybe share about some of the issues you had personally with embracing this and how you were able to overcome your pride, your arrogance. Not that we're making any inferences, but they'll pick, it on, they'll pick on up on it. And helping them with that scripturally. For me, the, 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 one of the most incredible examples of humility we have is the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, here you got this guy traveling 1,500 miles in a chariot to worship God. Why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going to worship. Yet when Philip runs up on him, what was the question? Do you understand what you're reading here? And this guy just, I'm done, man. Help me out. That's a childlike heart. I mean, this guy had all the outward accoutrements going on. He totally looked like he had this dialed in. I'm sure he was wearing some swell duds. That chariot wasn't, you know. I mean, this guy was the treasurer of Candace of Ethiopia. I'm sure he was one of the most stylish guys rolling into Jerusalem. But you know what? All that didn't matter. There wasn't any pretense. I don't get it. Help me out. So, you know, don't be afraid of, don't even be afraid of maybe shutting a study down because you've come to a point where maybe things aren't moving and take the time to pray. All of you. Just, you know what? We just need to pray. And then start maybe discussing what some of the situations are, what the individual's feeling and you can come up with a game plan as to how best to progress from there. Amen? Amen? Luke 9, verse 23 through 26. Behind you. <clears throat> Amen. Helen, can I get you to read just verse 23 one more time for us, please? Thank you. Okay, so what does he say? What's the first thing? 
If anyone. And what's the next thing? I mean, it's, it's very clear. If anyone, and then what? All? Isn't that in there? If anyone, all of you, this is what the requirements are in order to follow me. You know, things that we don't like hearing. You know, I mean, when you think this on through, is this something that we even hear today? Preached a whole lot. I'm going to be preaching on a Sunday. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time right there in that one verse. But, you know, there's a lot going on there. Take up your cross and follow him. What does this mean? You know, it's interesting. Go to Google, pull up crosses under images. You'd be amazed. I mean, the bulk of it is hip-hop bling. I mean, there, there's million-dollar cross. I couldn't believe it. One to ten million-dollar jewel-encrusted crosses. They're kind of stylish, but, you know, I'd probably get all kinds of grief. Needless to say, it ain't happening on my budget. I, I kind of like them. I mean, you know, I like, I like my watches big. I mean, if I were to, you know, we'll just leave it at that. <clears throat> but, you know, and then from there, they had like the crown jewels, which were crazy. The bulk of the crowns have got these really nice crosses on them. This stuff's priceless. Some of the crown jewels, when they kind of throw prices out there, that's probably somewhere around the four to ten billion with a B dollars. And then you know there's a couple little cute murals and this kind of thing. But the bottom line is I could not find a cross in light of what we know Jesus was nailed to. And that's just society today, man. There's all kinds of cool little earrings, you know, the pendants, the watches, the rings. But, you know, I don't know that that was what this passage had in mind as far as carrying your cross. I think we do know what was in, what was in mind here. I mean, carrying a cross, what did Jesus do for us? And this is the thing that's so crazy about it. And I think the thing we need to be so fired up to embrace and that what did Jesus do? We know what he was willing to do with his cross. He carried it and he was nailed to it so that God could work through that to extend grace to us to give us the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven and ushered on into his kingdom. Self-denial. You know, what's our tendency? It's right up there. Our tendency is to indulge ourselves in our desires. We need to kind of push that aside and really get back to what it takes to deny ourselves by looking to Christ and imitating him. Amen? You know, here's some of the other aspects of it. You know, carrying your cross daily. I mean, our walk with God has got to be a daily walk. You know, we, we think of the cross. It is an instrument of death. The cross isn't about comfort. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about our wills, our desires, really putting those things aside. And, you know, I think it's something, a lot of mornings I, I get up and I ask myself, I think it's great to revisit. You know, am, am I really going to make the decision to follow Jesus today? And there are those instances where I get off the path and I, I've got to pray about it. I've got to think it through. How do I get back on track with what Jesus has called me to? And then ultimately he closes it out with, you know what, we can gain the whole world. We've seen people that have. We see people that do. I mean, I, I was down in the harbor a couple of weeks ago and there was a yacht that pulled in. I mean, there, there was a nice yacht sitting there. This thing pulled on in and just cast a shadow over this thing. It's about 120 feet long, had a helipad on top, wasn't like a little Zodiac inflatable. He had a full-on bayliner. Yeah, bayliners are making boats, right? He had a full-on bayliner, you know, with the crane and the whole bit to lift that up on the back of the boat. But you know what? If that's all he's got, guess what? 
That's all he's got. But we follow Jesus, we deny ourselves, we inherit eternal life. Luke 14, 25-33, can I get a reader? Perry, I just want to let you guys know, if you Google Christians on Patrol, the number two thing that shows up on Google is Perry White's face. (laughs) I was having some fun with that yesterday. Or actually, it was probably around 1 o'clock in the morning or something. I don't know. I finally figured out how to download that to Vimeo. And they had all these little spots. You can put all these tags in there. And when I clicked on that, there was Perry. Okay, we're, we're, again, this is a passage that most of us are pretty familiar with. Right out of the chute, why do you think this specific group of people are mentioned? The thing I do like to ask, Jesus says you need to do what to this group of people? Do you mean it? I think so. Why, why do you say it? I think it's a matter of contrast. He knows. I mean, you think about this. I know how much I love Jackie. If I love Jackie the same as Jesus... Who's going to have the bigger influence in my life? Jackie, of course. She's a physical presence. Not to, not to mention, man, she is great at arm wrestling. I'm telling you. <clears throat> but, you know, so what do we have as far as contrast? Here's Jackie. Here's me. We've got to do the same thing. Here's me, Jackie. This needs to be Jesus. The contrast and love I have for Jackie has got to be absolutely, exponentially, at least twice as much. I need, to, I need to love Jesus so much the contrast would look like I hate my wife. But the reality behind this passage is what? If I love Jesus more than anything, what does that do to the love I have for my wife? I mean, I loved her a lot before I became a Christian. I would venture to guess she probably feels I love her a little bit more now than I'm a Christian. I mean, there was some serious ugliness in our lives before we became disciples. And I think it's because of that love for Christ that gives me the ability to do things that sometimes are hard to do in our relationships. Overlook a wrong. Be patient. Be loving. Demonstrating those fruits of the Spirit that we saw earlier. So, what was he talking about? The kind of contrast. We need to love God more than anything. More than our kids. More than our spouses. More than our jobs. More than our toys. More than where we live. More than anything. Otherwise, Satan will use those things. We've all seen it. Spouse decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm just not doing this Jesus thing anymore. The other spouse isn't firmly rooted in the Word and doesn't love Jesus more. What happens? They're both gone. 
And I would imagine some of us have seen where that progresses. I've seen divorces. People, you know, I've got this down. It's not that big an issue. I can make it on my own. I don't think that's the case. But anyways, Matthew 10, 37, 39, parallel passage. You may want to go there in the study. Uh, counting the cost, verse 28 through 30, talks about the guy building the tower. I had a friend years ago that was going to revolutionize the housing industry. Uh, developed a uh, geodesic dome that was all made out of steel. You put it together like an erector set. It was super easy, super inexpensive. Didn't count the cost. It's been about 10 years since I've been out to Redlands, but the frame was just sitting there for a good 20 years, resting away. Didn't count the cost, wasn't able to finish it. You might want to put in there, it's not in your booklet, is alternative verses, verse 31 through 32. I think it's a pretty strong analogy there. You got a king with 10,000 marching on a king with 20. I don't know about you, baby. If I got the 10, that 20's coming, I'm tapping out. You know, that's what it means to count the cost. You need to assess the uh, potential damage that may be incurred if you don't. And then, obviously, verse 33, Jesus insists that we put him first. Why? falls within the realm of all the things that we talked about. He is coming. He does have expectations. And he's already laid it all out for us on the cross. <clears throat> Matthew 22, 36-40. Can I get someone to read that for me? Matt? Do we have any uh, means of varying off the path with this one? Jesus kind of shake up the religious world a little bit with this one at this point. I mean, he wanted to make it clear. What does he say? What am I giving you here? What's he laying out in this passage? The commands. What are the commands? Starts with God, and we love God the way that we need to, guess what? That number two one's probably a lot easier. But that same love that we have for God is supposed to cross over the love that we have for each other, for the lost, members of the fellowship. Now, obviously, the way we need to love our neighbors, we need to have a heart for Christ. I think with that, everything else kind of falls into place. Being a Christian disciple starts with a relationship with God and that daily maintenance. You know, we need, to, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to be in the Word. We need to be praying. Uh, you might want to add these to your booklet. Uh, this is just one man's opinion, but I think it's, a, it's a, a little bit of a shortcoming not having them in there. A couple of reasons for it. The individuals that you're reaching out to, they know how to have a relationship with God on a daily basis? Not usually. I mean, you have some that may be praying every day. Most of the individuals that I've studied through with the years, most didn't have Bibles. When you gave them one, they didn't know how to use it. I mean, it's just kind of a reality. A lot of it's based on opinion or what somebody else says or preaches, but we are a Bible church, right? So Luke 11, verse 1 through 4. Somebody read that for me, please. Rachel. Thank you. A lot of things established here. 
you're studying the Bible with someone, this is a great thing to do in between the studies. Rather than just going from a Tuesday night to a Tuesday night with the studies, how about different individuals in your small group getting together and going out and showing that individual how to pray, how to find his way through the Bible? You know, start talking about some of the concepts of discipleship, forgiveness, areas that he may have to work through in his own marriage or with his kids or maybe with an abusive situation when they were growing up. But rather than how much better to actually face this as Jesus did in Luke 11. Then John 13, 34, 35. I bet we have somebody in here that probably has that one memorized. Anybody? Amen. We almost had the uh, Catholic Church thing going there for a minute. I was starting to have flashbacks. <laughs> but yeah, Jesus lays it on out. Again, in what format? It's a command. I think this is super important that we have this within the studies. I mean, we need to love one another the way God has loved us. How was that love demonstrated? It was demonstrated through what Jesus Christ did for us personally. And I think, you know, both of these combined... It's a matter of getting people involved with others within the fellowship and our sphere of influence. If you've taken somebody through discipleship and you haven't covered this verse, you're going to have a hard time talking to people about being committed to coming to Sundays, to coming to midweeks, to being involved on this level. Why not establish it on the front side? Amen? And with that, let's make sure we're modeling it for everybody. Uh, I'm not going to go through these right now, but you might want to write these down. I think this is an incredible overview of what Jesus is talking about in John 13. John 15, verse 12 through 14. If you see them on the screen, just go ahead and write them down. It says, Disciples have sacri- demonstrate a sacrificial love for one another. Disciples have a deep love for one another, 1 Peter 4 through 8. Uh, just realizing what that love does when it comes to us working through different challenges and sinful situations that we can have sometimes. First uh, John 4, 19 through 20. Can't love God unless we love the disciples that we see near us. I mean, if we can't get it together here, how are we going to have an impact anywhere else? And making sure that we're striving for that degree of unity here. Uh, what is Love is expressed through action and truth. 1 John 3, verse 18. It's about what we're doing because of the grace that motivates us to do it. John, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. That's wrong up there. I, I guess I deleted the one accidentally when I was trying to make it fit. But we live by the truth by being open with each other. That's what 1 John 1, 5 through 10 establishes. A lifestyle involving confession builds fellowship and cleanses us all from sin as we continue in our walk with God. And then ultimately, does the love we have for the disciples show yourself as being a true disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're not involved in this fellowship, you know, I think just even thinking through this from a standpoint of discipling relationships, we've got younger Christians that are a part of the group that have asked to be discipled and have asked for help. And they kind of get the lip service and it doesn't happen. And I think what that demonstrates is just a lack of love, which rooted ultimately is in a lack of faith. We we can't have that going on. What that means is we'll have people that won't end up making it. There are individuals that are all different levels of faith. Some that are strong, some that are weak. I've been all of them through my 21 years as a Christian. If it wasn't for people that were vested in me relationally, I wouldn't be here today. And making sure that we're willing to make that time for someone else. And that we're not practicing selfishness, but we're practicing love for each other. little detour there for a minute, but something I felt like I needed to equip you with. Amen? 
And then, you know, I think it's really important in the book, it doesn't go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But let me ask you something. How many of you feel like people really understood that the first time you took it through it at the beginning of the study? I would imagine everything else that we do after it kind of establishes it, though. So I think it's probably a good idea to cap the study with Matthew 28, 18 through 20, just to help them on out and walk them back through. Because now I guarantee you there will be a degree of clarity that they didn't have the first time through. So, again, the things are laid out here. What's the command? Make disciples. Who's this given to? It's given to all. Who can be baptized? People repented and made the decision to be a disciple. And then some other questions. You may want to phrase it differently based on the individual you're studying with. But I think there's a reason to ask them. You know, as you sit here today, have you been correctly discipled up to this point in time based on what we've looked at in this study? Are you a disciple? And you know what? Here's the thing, guys. I don't think we can be afraid of asking these questions. Because I've jumped in a lot of studies where people have been almost all the way through. They've done light and darkness. They've done the cross. They've done the church. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, why? Do you feel that way? You know, and ultimately, it's a matter of really getting in there on a heart level and helping them, them on out with it. It's got to be more, guys, than just inputting information. It's got to be about helping people change their hearts. So, with that, are you a disciple? Are you a Christian? Are you saved? You can throw it out there rhetorically to them. You know, you might want to go home and pray about this. We can pray about it right now, but you might want to go home and pray about it. We'll talk about it the next time we get together. You don't put it out there. You'll have some individuals that maybe will have it on straight. By and large, human nature, we're prideful. And sometimes you'll just say the things that you think need to be said without any conviction here. We've got to make sure that we're taking the time to help people's hearts get to where they need to be. You know, we need individuals in fellowship to teach you maturity in Christ. That's one of the things, that, one reason we're starting our young Christian class. And then with that, as you receive that information, you need to turn and pass it on to someone else. Um, I'm not going to go through the remainder of the slides here. Uh, they're in your booklet. Just, you know, the whole thing with practical application, making sure we're setting up a time to study. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures there. Uh, Proverbs 27:17, iron sharpening iron. You know, are you willing to get people in there on a discipling level with you, being real, being open to, getting help, that kind of thing? I do you have one final thing I want to read? It's a final quote from uh, Coleman. It says, The good news of salvation must be heralded to the ends of the earth. Jesus is Lord. He reigns on high and is coming again in majesty and power. Just the thought makes the heart almost miss a beat in wonder because God has extended his grace as well as a great Savior and his kingdom, which is forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're awesome.